0: So the title of today's message is Grand Theft Donkey. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 11, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. So imagine that you finally get your dream car. God blesses you, or, or someone blesses you with your dream car. You have a rich relative, you know, whatever. Somehow you finally get this dream car. You're out in your driveway, you're washing it, you're waxing it, you're vacuuming it out, you're just detailing this thing, out to make it as attractive and and new and awesome as possible. As you're getting ready to go cruising in it, you know, you're gonna get your spouse and get or girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, you're gonna get into your car and you're gonna go and cruise around town in it when these two guys show up and say and and say, you know, we need this car. And he jumps in the driver's seat, grabs the keys off the side, revs it up. What's your reaction going to be after you get this dream car? I mean, you don't know these guys. You have no idea where they came from. You're you're like, what are you doing? And they simply says, the Lord needs it. And they pull up and drive away. They're committing grand theft auto in your dream car. So, what's your reaction? That would probably be the logical thing. Show me proof. Well, this is what there's something very similar going on in Jesus' times right before his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. So, let's read about the first Palm Sunday. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, What are you doing? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt tied outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead of them who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest heavens. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And let's pray. Father God, I ask, Lord, that as we examine this first Palm Sunday, that you would speak to our hearts and change our lives, Father. That you would allow your word to sink in deep and bring about the character of Jesus in every way. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now we're talking about our dream cars. We're talking about you know, what would happen when somebody would jump into our dream car and, and drive it away. And we have no idea what they're doing. They just simply gave us some statement about the Lord needing it and driven away. And that would be pretty a pretty traumatic thing for us. But what would this donkey mean to its owner in first century Jerusalem? And as I was reading about the events of Passion Week, I always found it interesting that Jesus begins his triumphal entry in Jerusalem by telling his disciples to essence, go and commit grand theft donkey. They didn't have auto then, so it will be grand theft donkey. That's a pretty big deal to people back then to own a donkey. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, Jesus is God and creator of everything that exists, so really he can't steal anything because everything is his. But it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek way to, to uh, title this message. So let us me put uh, what's going on in a little bit of perspective. For us, living in 21st century America, Trempeleau County, Whitehall, Wisconsin, a truck or a van or some type of motor vehicle is critical for us to have, isn't it? Unless you live in a large city with great public transportation, you really can't live in our world without some, po- some sort of automotive transportation, particularly for us in the rural areas. Nothing is close. I mean, we can't get to shopping. We can't get to you know, larger food stores. A lot of our doctor's appointments, all of that, they are way uh, pretty far away from us, 30 plus miles. So having a vehicle of some sort is essential for us to live. Even the Amish understand this, and they, have, they call us to give them rides, and they have to travel a longer distance. Now, if you go back 100 years, no one had a car. What was the first car around here in Whitehall, would you say, for you, you older people growing up? How long did it take to, get, to commonly see cars here? I saw a, a picture down in Sweet Temptations where they had a, the old Whitehall downtown, and all you saw was horses and and carts. Probably 1930s, 1940s, I would guess, somewhere around there. No one had a car. They had horses or some type of horse-drawn wagons. In fact, horses were extremely valuable in the founding of this country, particularly those who settled in the western part of our country. They had a government organization that was formed to find horse thieves. That's how important horses were to people then. If they found the horse thief, they would usually just hang him on the spot. They wouldn't even get a trial. They'd put the rope around his neck, tie it to a tree, sit him on a horse, and smack the horse in the rear end and hang him on the very thing that he tried to steal. That's how seriously they they considered horse thieves back then. That was the American Wild West, but here in Jerusalem around 30 A.D., They didn't really own horses that much because it was impractical in that area. It was mountainous, it was very rocky, it was very desert. Horses would usually break their legs on that, so they had donkeys. Donkeys were sturdier, they're shorter, they didn't twist their ankles and and break their legs as much. And theft of of a donkey was also a little bit harder than stealing a horse. People didn't steal donkeys very often just for the simple fact that donkeys are very stubborn animals. Very willful animals. They didn't want to obey their masters a lot of times, much less some stranger who came along to try to steal them. The penalties in Roman-occupied Jerusalem was pretty similar to what they were in our Wild West. If you're stealing a donkey, you were stealing a person's mode of transportation. you were stealing something that they could use to turn a mill wheel or, pl- or drag a plow. So it was very serious when you, would, when you would do this. Now, back to the event we have in scripture, pretend for a moment that you're sitting outside, maybe you're, you're sipping, sipping some tea out on your porch or you're out there repairing a fence and you t- see these two sketchy looking guys. They're dressed like a Galilean, they sound like a Galilean, Everybody knows, in Jerusalem knows that Galileans are kind of the, the people from the wrong side of the tracks. And all of a sudden, they walk up and untie this donkey and start to lead it away. What would your reaction be as a good neighbor? Hey, what are you doing? You're stealing my neighbor's donkey. I can't let you get away with this. And you hear that Galilean accent come back at you and say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back shortly. And that brings us to our first point this morning is that phrase that the Lord needs it and he is going to send it back. You see, in the scripture we started out with this morning, we saw the people around the owner of this donkey's house questioning why the disciples were taking it. In other gospel accounts, it's the owner directly questioning the disciples. But either way, think about this for a moment. If this was you, would you have the faith to trust the word of some guy's who claimed to be the followers of God, that this was indeed the Lord's will? I mean, think about it. This donkey is your one and only means of transportation. As I said, it might be a work animal. It might be the thing that, that, that turns a wheel, that turns your mill wheel, or, or pulls your cart in the fields. Many times these work animals were just simply beloved members of a family, much like a, a dog or a cat would be today that would actually live inside the house with the person. It also could be that this, boner, this the owner of this donkey had just bought it. What if he had saved up for two or three years and, and finally was able to buy a donkey? I mean, a donkey sold for about two to three months' salary in Jerusalem at this time. Ultimately... This story of Grand Theft Donkey is a precursor to what is about to follow. And I want you to think about this for a second. This is the beginning of Passion Week. It's the beginning of Jesus' very slow but very deliberate walk toward the cross. It's a picture and a foreshadowing of what God is about to do for every one of us. So when you think that God was being a little unreasonable to have a couple strangers walk up and take a donkey, consider what God was about to do. (laughs) Romans 8.32 says that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see, God was giving Jesus for us. His most valuable possession to save people who are in willful rebellion against him. In fact, this donkey was part of the messianic prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is why Jesus was given the hero's parade. People are very familiar with this scripture and they thought he was an earthly king coming to do an earthly kingdom and earthly things for them. But they missed the other prophecies about the Messiah. Isaiah 53, that he would be severely beaten and bruised for our sins and crushed for our rebellion, that Jesus would take the punishment that we deserved, so that we could become righteous in God's sight without spot, without blemish. The big, one of the big ideas about the donkey is this, is that God will never, ever ask you to give up something more valuable than he has. I mean, think about that for a moment. God the Father gave us God the Son. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him Will not perish but have everlasting life. We think giving up something for God is this big deal. We'll try to match what He gave. Notice something else here. The disciples promised the owner of this donkey, the Lord needs it and He will send it back. In other words, whatever God calls you to give up right now for the sake of the kingdom. God is going to bring it back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, as the evangelists would say. In this case, the man got back not only a donkey, but I'll bet you that donkey was probably the best trained, best behaved, and strongest donkey in all of Jerusalem. And why do I say that? What what basis do I have to say that? It's because Jesus can't touch anything and that thing be, be left the same. It will always improve. He brings new life to everything he touches. That's why when people tell me they are Christians, but they have no evidence of it in their life, their speech, their behavior, or their priorities, I have to question Has Jesus ever touched them? Is Jesus currently active in their lives? a little rabbit trail here I'm going to go down, but it's it's relevant to what we're talking about. It might not be for the people sitting here, I hope it's not, but maybe it's for the podcast. A while ago, Greg Mandigo and I were in the back of an ambulance. We were transporting a patient to another hospital, and the guy was complaining about everything very profanely, using Jesus' name and God's name as a curse and, and all that kind of stuff, and and one of the things that, and you could tell that Greg was just sitting there like, gosh, would this guy stop? And I'm just like, you know, I'm trying to be professional and, and not say anything. But, and so, Greg, one of the things I have to do is I have to sign their computer report as the transporting paramedic so they can bill at a paramedic level. And so he hands it over to me. He goes, Pastor John, can you sign this for me? And you saw the sh- look of shock on the guy's face. He goes, You're a pastor? And all of a sudden, you know, the excuses start, and he says, "I'm sorry, I'm in pain. I usually don't talk like this," and you know, blah, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. And I was just thinking, you know, now the guy, all of a sudden, he's an elder in a church, and and all this kind of stuff, and quoting the Bible to me, and all this, all these things, and and it just it it just showed me, going back to what we were talking about, you know, I was questioning, has, is Jesus currently active in his life, if he's spouting that kind of stuff off. Another time I was off, um, I went to coffee with a friend from work. He was having some difficulties at homes. And he had always told me, you know, he was a Christian, and him and his wife weren't getting along, and he's trying to be a good husband, good father to his children. And as we were sitting there, his wife called him. And so he picks up his cell phone, and he, he was talking to me, and he kind of clicked the wrong button, and it went on speaker. Well, this string of profanity came flying out the phone. I mean, this woman could cuss. This woman could t- teach a Marine something about cussing. I mean, she was just going off on him for not checking in and, and just a, a litany of other things, and he's frantically trying to push the button to turn the speaker off and finally just hung it up. <laughs> He's like, I'm with Pastor John, bye, and hung it up. And he starts to profusely apologize, and I just stopped him, and I said, you know, I said, I'm not judging you, but if this is the language that's typically going on in your home, I have to ask, is Jesus the Lord of your life? The Bible says it's out of the overflow of the heart, does the mouth speak. So if profanity is constantly coming out of your mouth, I have to ask, is a holy Jesus touching it? It also says that sweet water and bitter waters cannot flow from the same spring. If the Holy Spirit is living within you, then cursing should be the last thing coming out of your heart, particularly curses that use your Savior's name in vain. Jesus doesn't drop any F-bombs, so that shouldn't be something that flies out of your mouth constantly. I use these two examples to point out that if Jesus has touched you, everything in your life should reflect that. The manner of your speech reflects what you believe in. And I'm not talking about a sudden explanation if you hit your thumb and your hammer or if you have kids and you're walking through the house at night and you step on one of their Legos, that is some of the worst pain you've ever been. For some of you older people whose kids didn't have Legos, be thankful because I'll tell you what, that is some pain. You step on a Lego in the middle of the night. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. Obviously, there should be repentance for that. You shouldn't do it. But what I'm talking about is a pattern of speaking that does not reflect the nature of Jesus, God, and his character. And you say, well, I'm just so used to it. That's just the way I am. If God can change a beast as stubborn as a donkey, he can change your heart too. When I got saved, it was the first witness of my friend Kevin first it was the first evidence of that I got saved is because he noticed I wasn't cussing anymore and I wasn't making a conscious effort not to cuss I wasn't I wasn't thinking oh I can't say that oh I can't say that I have to stop and think now it just wasn't coming out of me because my heart had been changed so I would just challenge you today with that to really judge what comes out of our mouth because it's a witness of who is really on the throne of it, of our hearts. One of the other applications of this scripture for us today is this man's obedience to God's request did something else for him in that it opened up a supernatural blessing of God. And what we find here in this application today is that obedience to the abnormal, Sometimes obedience to the absolutely insane in our own minds is the key to opening up God's supernatural blessing or the key to opening up that next level that God wants to bring us to in life. Many of you know your Bibles very well, and I want you to think back to many of the heroes and prophets and leaders and kings in the Old Testament. Many of them were called to do some pretty unique things, weren't they? Things that, to our 21st century mind, would be absolutely insane to to obey God to do. Consider, for example, Noah. Noah is called to build a boat capable of ocean travel. The thing is, there were no oceans. There were probably no boats. There was probably not a big enough body of water back in pre-flood earth to even think about building a boat. For an event that no one has ever seen. God said he's going to bring rain upon the earth. The Bible is very specific. Rain hadn't happened yet. But God was going to bring it. Not only did he, did he build something that had never been seen, not for something that had never been, for, for an ocean that has never existed, he stayed faithful for 120 years with this mission. 120 years. Anybody here 120 years old? I'm not even half that yet. Most of us can't even behave for 120 seconds after leaving this building. But he stayed faithful to his mission for over a century. How about Moses? Moses, I want you to walk up to Pharaoh, a man who thinks he is God, and tell him to free the Hebrew slaves. By the way, the source of the the Hebrew slaves are the source of all of his power the source of all of his economic prosperity, the very thing that props up Egypt as a single world power, and removing them will take all that away from Egypt. I want you to walk up and tell him to let them go. That's crazy. That's crazy. Oh, by the way, as soon as I lead you out of there, they're going to chase you. And I'm going to put your back up to the ocean you're going to see my deliverance. I'm going to commit the biggest. If you looked at this from a, from a secular point of view, from, a, from a, a logical point of view, the greatest military blunder in history is to back you, put your back up to an ocean. I'm going to do it, and then you will see the deliverance of God as he parts the ocean in front of you. How about Joshua? Joshua takes the reins of Israel. First thing he does is he tells the people, he obeys God, to march around the city for seven days with the entire nation. And the largest walls ever created to that point are going to fall down flat. These walls are about as thick as this church right now. Two chariots could easily race on top of this wall. The largest wall has ever been created at that time. Not only that, Joshua... But you have to go and convince those other 6 million people to do, a, to do this crazy thing. How about David? David, one of the smallest men of Israel, fighting the largest man in Philistine. Crazy. God calls us to do some crazy things sometimes. They all, have, all these things have something in common, and that is obedience to the abnormal. The exercise of faith. This is what will open up the miraculous in your life. Some of you are stuck in a part of your life right now because you will not obey God and his call in your life. Even though in your own mind it's ridiculous. Even though in your own mind there's no way that could happen. Much like my call to the ministry. That was my argument with God. Are you kidding? Do you know my past God? That's a pretty stupid question to ask God, but it's a question I asked. And people wonder, though, why the American churches aren't seeing miracles. It's because we, and I lump myself in with this, we've lost that attribute of radical obedience. It's because we've lost our faith with God, and maybe it's because our lives have gotten so easy. Maybe it's because most of us don't work hard. We're not tilling soil and doing farm work. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe we're distracted by gizmos, technology, Facebook, phones, whatever that the possibility of of God's power and presence and provision gets pushed into the background and forgotten. Or maybe it's just because we refuse to be obedient to his call in our lives, either through the way we represent him to the world, or we obey that specific calling. You see, all of us have a general calling, we all have a general calling to live faithful to his commands. We all have a, a general calling to live faithful to the character of Jesus. It's regardless of who you are or what church you can go to. <clears throat> these church or these commands that God reveals to us are found in the Ten Commandments. They're summarized in the Great Commandments. To so love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and to love your fellow people as yourselves. And the call to go make disciples of all people. These are commands for Christians regardless of denomination or affiliation. But God also has a specific calling for each one of you. And you alone. It may be a calling that makes no logical sense to anyone else. But you have to take that radical step of obedience and trust in God. And if you do that, he's going to reward that faith. He's going to elevate your life in such a way that you will bring him great praise and blow the minds of the people in your life. It's how you're going to fit in his kingdom. And it's what he has made you to do. And that's what our mission in life is, to seek and find and pursue that calling until the day we stand before him. Jesus obeyed all the commands. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the mission that God gave him. And Jesus is who we remember today on this Palm Sunday that got to ride a donkey into Jerusalem, that one man's obedience to the call of God, allowed that prophecy to be fulfilled and allowed him to fulfill every messianic prophecy ever spoken and win us back to God through his obedience. Amen?